Welcome to SF City Insider, a San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Trisha Thadani, a city hall reporter at the Chronicle. My colleague Dom Fricasa and I spoke to the leading candidates in each district race up for grabs in November. This episode, we spoke to District 10 candidate Theo Ellington, the current board president for the Bayview Opera House. Ellington grew up in the Bayview and said his top three priorities would be affordable housing, affordable housing, and affordable housing. Theo is the youngest candidate in the race, and the question some voters have about him is if he has enough experience to run the district. Theo Ellington, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Um, So we're going to start with your 60-second elevator pitch. Three, two, one, go. Uh, My name is Theo Ellington. I'm a candidate running for District 10 supervisor here in San Francisco. Uh, And I'm running because I feel like the city has lost its way. It used to be that uh, you can come to San Francisco, you can earn an honest living, and you can get ahead like my grandfather did. Now we are starting to see uh, people struggle. Uh, And I want to make sure that every family can afford to live in San Francisco. Uh, I'm the only candidate in the race with both public and private sector experience. Uh, On the public side, I led the creation to uh, 1,500 units of housing as Redevelopment Successor Agency. Uh, and on the private side, I helped bring in the Golden State Warriors. 20 seconds. Where I uh, held new arena developers accountable to the neighborhood. So I think you want uh, a supervisor in that seat who understands the uh, dynamics of San Francisco, uh, but also has a track record in the community to bring folks together uh, to tackle some of these tough issues. So when we met a few weeks ago, um, and I asked you what your top three priorities would be as supervisor, you said, number one, affordable housing, number two, affordable housing, and number three, affordable housing. (laughs) So what is the right affordable versus market rate balance to build in your neighborhood, um, and how would you protect that? Yeah, when you um, look at just housing development in general, um, we know that the city builds an extreme amount of market rate housing. Uh, We also know that the city does a fairly decent job at building low income housing. Mm -hmm. I think we all know that there's a huge missing middle. Uh, There is uh, folks who are teachers, uh, our police officers, our firefighters, our nurses, uh, the middle sort of working class uh, families, that's what we have to build for. Far too often I've heard stories about people not being able to afford to live in San Francisco and then I'm asked them what they do for a living, uh, and it's often a pretty decent-paying job. So we've got we've got that challenge. If you look at report after report, whether it's uh, the Association of Bay Area Governments or uh, something in the Chronicle, uh, you know that it is consistent that that is where the issue is. We've got a, a an opportunity in Bayview, in particular, uh, to really sort of reverse this ill. Mm-hmm. We have eight waterfront development projects that are, that are getting ready to happen in our district. Uh, we have Third Street, the Third Street corridor, uh, that is prime and open for development. So it's about first doing an audit of the area uh, in the district uh, and determining at each and every location how do we maximize the amount of affordable housing that is possible on each site. Uh, and I think we have room and the opportunity to do that. Sorry, would you also want to build market rate housing? Like, what what sort of proportion do you see of affordable versus market? I think you know, generally speaking, we need housing all across the spectrum but hyper-focusing on that middle-income housing. Uh, In terms of a balance, um, we have to use the tools that we are given. For example, when I was on the Redevelopment Successor Agency, uh, we were able to build 1,500 units of housing, 500 for uh, formerly homeless families and uh, for seniors. And we were able to do that because we took advantage of tax increment financing. Uh, That is no longer available. So we have to get uh, more creative with uh, ways to fund housing. 
some of that means building on public land to make sure we maximize affordable housing there. Uh, and then in other cases, that means, again, I mentioned the eight waterfront development projects. Uh, that means maximizing the affordable housing options on each of those sites as well. So I think you're absolutely right to suggest that there is a balance. The challenge will be figuring out what that balance is. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, the opportunity, there's, there's tons of opportunities down Third Street and a ton of opportunities along our waterfront. So the, those are the places that I will be looking first. I'm curious, Theo, given your experience in um, going through the process of getting housing built in San Francisco, if you see uh, opportunities, shall we say, to, as a legislator, change some of the ways and some of the regulations and some of the downtime that exists in getting housing built. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you went through some of that and you can tell us about it yeah. in areas you see for improvement. One of the most astonishing things that I've learned through this process is um, the amount of time it takes to build housing, or any project for that matter in San Francisco. Um, I threw out the number about OCI, about 1,500 uh, housing units that uh, I led the creation for. Uh, but that number that I approved was 4,000 housing units. That was six years ago and only 1,500 of those housing units are built. So there's a problem there um, with the process. Uh, I think one of the, the first things that we can do is begin to look at ways to streamline uh, affordable housing projects. Uh, we know uh, across the board, we can, we can all agree that that is the sweet spot and that is the priority for San Francisco. Um, so figuring out mechanisms to do that, whether it's through planning, whether it's through, again, finding additional funding mechanisms, that's the opportunity that I think you're talking about. So you uh, yourself live on Hunters Point Shipyard near the, the former home of a the Naval Radiological Defense Laboratory. Uh, and Tetratech, the environmental f- engineering firm in charge of cleaning up that site, uh, is under fire, to say the least, for uh, botching the cleanup. Uh, now, as a resident uh, at the development, you filed a lawsuit uh, against the developer and the firm, Tetratech. Um, could you walk us through this decision? Absolutely. We know historically that District 10 has been really the dumping ground for the rest of San Francisco. If you look at all of the environmental disparities, um, they all sort of play themselves out in District 10. We've got a garbage facility. We've got a wastewater plant. We've got two freeways. We've got heavy industrial uh, spaces. We have uh, the most trucking routes of any other neighborhood. This was by design. I think we can all admit that this was by design. Um, We're a food desert. And it has become no surprise uh, that Tetratech, who was in charge of the Hunters Point shipyard cleanup, falsified these records. There were two things that sort of stood out for me in this uh, letter that the EPA wrote to the Navy. Um, They stated that 97% of the soil samples were falsified. That's a problem for me, Uh, not only as a homeowner there, but as a resident who's been in the community uh, most of my life. I couldn't. I could. I could no longer sit back and allow profit, corruption, and greed to be at the forefront of the conversation when it comes to health outcomes. Uh, far too often, we have seen that this neighborhood has allowed our zip code to determine our health outcomes, and that's that's wrong. This is about doing what's right. Someone has to be held responsible for this. Um, we waited almost a hundred days for any when that, that letter came out in December 2017, uh, about 100 days before anybody responded to uh, these accusations. Uh, two people are in, in jail. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. So I've stated since day one uh, the things that need to happen. 
Um, the only reason why Parcel A is being retested is because the community came together and demanded that Parcel A be retested. Uh, we depended upon local government, state government, and federal government to have our best interest uh, in, in mind. And they gave the site a clean bill of health. Uh, and the science that they relied on to do that has proven to be wrong. Uh, so we need a, a complete retesting of Parcel A, as I stated before. Uh, but not just a, a, a retesting of the surface. We need actual soil to be collected and taken into a lab where a third party, independent from the Navy, independent from Tetratech, independent from any governmental agency, can provide a comprehensive analysis of the soil samples. Mm -hmm. So we had walked around there together um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's actually quite a beautiful development. And it seems like a really, really nice place to live. And you know, it's a mix of affordable and market rate housing. Is that that's, that's correct? correct right? yeah. um, and the community kind of saw it as this gold standard of what this area could become. It's right on the water. Absolutely. It's really nice. You know, you got a mix of people living there together. Can you describe what, what living there is like? Sure. And would you like to see, given that they're not contaminated, but um, would you like to see more developments like that out in District 10? We, we bought into this idea that the Hunters Point shipyard was going to be a mixed-use development with homes and jobs, and even for the community, uh, an extensive community benefits uh, package uh, that everybody was going to be able to enjoy. And all that has been put on hold because a corporation decided to put greed over uh, health outcomes. Mm -hmm. the, my lived experience there has been amazing. I mean, I think, you know, the, the weather is nice. Uh, there, there are lots of families that are, are moving in. Uh, I've got a baby boy on the way. Um, in October. In right? October, yeah. yes. Very exciting. Uh, which makes this, you know, even more of a heightened issue for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's the community has really uh, come into its own in terms of the type of folks that are moving there. Um, I live in a building, I think there's roughly about 65 units. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got an affordable mix uh, inside our complex. And the beautiful thing is you don't know who's in an affordable unit uh, and who's in a market rate mm -hmm. unit. But that's the beautiful thing is that uh, folks on this shipyard site have been able to come together uh, and share the same amenities and be able to enjoy uh, a higher quality of life. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's unfortunate that that dream has been uh, flush down the drain because of evil corporations. Mm -hmm. And I also remember when we talked, you had said that Malia Cohen, um, a good thing that she's done is she's been pretty tough on corporations. And, and would you replicate that? Yeah, I think, you know, in addition to retesting the soil, um, we have to go after Tetra Tech uh, as a city. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got to claw back the billions of dollars that have been spent on cleaning up this site. Uh, in any other city, in any other neighborhood, this would be front page news on the national level every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been stating again since I heard about this news um, that we have to hold Tetra Tech accountable. Um, they are a large firm. Um, in fact, an interesting number that I ran across is their, uh, their stock price almost tripled since December of 2017. And that's astonishing to me mm. uh, when uh, they are poisoning a community like uh, Bayview Hunters Point mm -hmm. in District 10. Um, something has to be done. And this is why I stood up and decided to um, stick my neck out on behalf of the community.
I don't want to harp too much on, on the Tetra Tech issue. There's a lot to talk about when it Absolutely. comes to District 10. But when it, when it comes to the way in which the community was treated around that issue, I think you said a moment ago that it comes down to the historical way in which the voices of District 10 have been either actively suppressed or just not listened to and ignored. Correct. So I, my question to you is, how do you raise up the voices of, of, of District 10? What, what do you do as a District 10 supervisor to ensure that the communities in, that, in those neighborhoods have a, have a bigger voice inside of City Hall? Yeah, I think the first thing you do is listen. Uh, there are a lot of uh, people in the neighborhood who have fought time and time again uh, to make this community whole. And I've been gracious to be able to, to do that for the last... Uh, 12 months uh, on this campaign is really dig deep into the neighborhoods and knock on doors and um, really open my heart and my my ears and my mind to the conditions that folks have been living in. Um, This isn't normal. I mean, I recognize at a very young age that the conditions that folks were living in in Baby Hunters Point um, isn't normal. Folks in the marina aren't living in these conditions. Uh, Folks on the other side of town are not living in these conditions. So um, it's about empowering folks to have a seat at the table and providing assurance that when they're not at the table that your supervisor will be a voice for you at the table. Uh, and that's my goal uh, in this campaign and that will be my goal as, as supervisor. District 10's uh, current supervisor, Malia Cohen, has made um, police reform. Uh, she's taken up that mantle, I, I think it's fair to say, in a pretty big way. Um, I want to know if you see yourself taking on a similar role. We have to have police reform uh, at the top of our agenda. Uh, when it comes to District 10 and to communities of color. As Human Rights Commissioner, uh, this is something that I worked on every single day. Uh, we hosted over 25 forums across the city uh, with SFPD, with the school district, with community-based organizations, and, real, and really had a dialogue about what it's going to take to change the culture. So building those bridges uh, is a must. There are uh, several things that are underway now that are extraordinary in doing just that. Um, officer JJ, uh, who is out of the Kiska Street Boys and Girls Club, he's a police officer assigned to that site. He takes a group of kids back to Ghana every single year uh, with fellow police officers. Um, that is so powerful and something that needs to be replicated to, to build character, to uh, build trust. Um, we have to start seeing each other as human beings. Uh, and that happens when we take folks on trips like that, but also uh, when police officers get out of their cars. Um, we know that uh, Bayview Police Station is under-resourced. I think at any given time, there are only 11 to 13 police officers uh, on the streets in our neighborhoods. If someone calls off sick, if someone's on vacation, uh, those numbers dwindle. So we've got to fix the resource issue, but it does not come at the cost of building relationships and building community. And you do that when police officers get out of their vehicles they walk the beat, uh, they get to know their uh, community uh, members, they participate in community-based organizations, they participate in events. Uh, and I think we have that commitment from our captain, which uh, I'm proud to see happen, but we've got to do more of it. Uh, and we can't be satisfied with basic level success. We've got to hold ourselves to a higher standard. I'm looking, looking forward to do that, doing that as supervisor. Do you have a number of how much you want to see the amount of police officers increase by in the, in the Bayview? You know, I want to make sure that it's equitable and that it makes sense for uh, the needs of the, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mentioned the alarming number earlier about, you know, Bayview being the largest sort of geographical area that's covered. You know, the resources have to be there for uh, the officers to do their job, but at the same time, community policing has to be at the top of their list of priorities mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so just switching gears a little bit. So I'm um, just getting back to these questions of development. Um, so there's a lot of new development popping up um, throughout the district. So Third Street um, is obviously one of them, um, but there's still no grocery store. How would you attract more businesses to the area without um, risking gentrification and displacement yeah. from people in the community? There is a uh, tremendous effort going um, on right now uh, in Bayview Hunters Point that is remarkable. We have five new businesses moving to uh, the Third Street Corridor. What are those businesses? So we've got um, Cafe Envy, okay. um, Bayview Pasta, Word Cafe, Tato, and then there is also um, a gym coming in at mm-hmm. Third and Oakdale. And are these all affordable? So or what? these are very affordable. Okay. So um, in fact, uh, four of those businesses um, are women-owned businesses. Uh, four of those businesses are from folks who live in 94124. So we're starting to see a resurgence, and that is happening because uh, the necessary investments are being made mm-hmm. um, into the neighborhood. So when we talk about developments moving down 3rd Street, whether it be in Dogpatch or Patrol Hill, those developments have to understand that the rest of the district is their backyard. And the success of our 3rd Street corridor and a lot of times determines the success of businesses or development projects. Uh, with respect to the grocery store, this is something we have talked about for ages. Uh, we have a wholesale produce market, for God's sake, mm-hmm. in our district and can't seem to figure out this grocery store issue. Uh, I think what we have to do in a time where uh, resources are a, a bit limited is we've got to look to public sites to build the things that we need for our district. Um, 1550 Evans uh, is a site where uh, the Public Utilities Commission is uh, proposing a community center, a perfect opportunity to build a grocery store mm-hmm. uh, on a site that is uh, more than five and a half acres uh, of public space. Um, we have to do this immediately. Well, what is the holdup for a grocery store? I mean, you just named five other things that are coming into the yeah. district. Why not? a Safeway or a Whole Foods or... Sure. I, I think, um, I mean, I've, I've heard a number of things. Um, uh, the economics, uh, the foot traffic, mm-hmm. uh, being able to... We've, we've, we've seen two grocery stores come in and fail uh, because the grocery store was not getting the necessary foot traffic it needed to succeed. Um, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is huge uh, for any business uh, attempting to operate. Uh, but the, the success that we have seen on the corridor... Uh, has happened because four women-owned businesses have decided to come together uh, and put their uh, individual successes aside for the better collective success of the entire district. Those are the stories of strength that we have to keep highlighting about District 10 to attract a functioning grocery store. And it's not just in Bayview. I mean, if you look in Dogpatch, where the uh, population is set to triple uh, in the matter of three years, or four years for that matter, there are no neighborhood amenities uh, in Dogpatch. There's not enough open space uh, there's no community center. There's not a rec and park facility. Um, the, 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 the parks are uh, becoming overcrowded. Uh, and, oh, yeah, there's no grocery store. So um, it's a southeast side of the city issue uh, that I totally tend to address as supervisor. 
Well, you survived uh, the long questions, uh, so we'll transition now to the lightning round, uh, quick as you can, uh, on some of these. So, what, what is oh, the here we go? Yeah. So, <laughs> what what is the first piece of legislation you'd like to uh, sponsor as a District Ten supervisor? We've got to uh, reinstate the Restoration Advisory Board uh, for the Hunters Point Shipyard Project. And so, few measures have been uh, more closely watched than uh, Prop C and Prop Ten. So your stance on Prop C, which would tax um, bigger businesses in the city and add to homelessness services, what is your stance on it? Yes. Go. I mean, the, the homeless issue is um, a public health epidemic here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And now that we see this uh, being an executive level priority uh, for our city, uh, I am confident that we'll begin to see uh, better results. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I will add is District 10 has been the dumping ground in a lot of cases. Uh, we've got to make sure we have a navigation center in every neighborhood. We have to make sure that uh, our shelters are staffed and resourced. Um, I'll stop there. Prop 10, the repeal of Costa-Hawkins, yes or no? I am not in support of the repeal of Costa-Hawkins. You cannot repeal something without an adequate replacement. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see a measure that promotes more housing, uh, affordable housing at that, and I don't think Prop 10 does that. Theo, how do you feel about uh, being con- uh, considered a moderate in this election? Sure. I think for me, I state at every single endorsement meeting, I state at every single opportunity I get to talk to voters is that the neighborhood is my number one priority, uh, making sure that we build more homes uh, that are affordable for folks, making sure we um, get a handle and grip over the homeless population, uh, that we fix things like transit. Um, those things have no moderate or progressive lens. These are things that uh, the folks in District 10 care about. And as supervisor, I'll do my best to uh, address those things. I, I, I think the, the labeling is what got us in this mess in the first place. You know, in order for the city to move forward, we've got to put those labels in the back seat. And now the hardest question of the lot. Um, you're only 29. Yes. Um, you have a kid on the way. You're yeah. a homeowner. Like, what do you do for fun? Oh, I, <laughs> this question came last time. It this did. is... I, you know, I've been, you know, lucky enough to um, participate in politics for a very, very long time. And I developed a real deep concern for my neighborhood at a young age. And this is fun for me. I mean, this is everything that I've done has tied back to um, the neighborhood and tied back to the district and tied back to San Francisco. Uh, but if I had to point out, you know, like something, some, not politics. something not political, <laughs> something that actually yeah. fun. Um, I you know, my wife and I walk our dog <laughs> like that is I am a, I, I'm a, an avid basketball fan. Okay. Uh, so uh, obviously watching the Warriors and uh, sports is really, really fun. I also like to eat. That's fun. That is That's fun. Very so uh, we go out quite a bit. Not so much now that I'm uh, have been in this race for a while, but mm-hmm. um, eating is very, very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I do for fun? I play basketball as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to say I have old knees, but. Uh, I still try to get out there and play. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I venture off politics yeah. and, and, and tend to have fun. Cool. Well, good to know that you have fun. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Theo, thank you so much for coming in. This is fantastic. Thanks for having me. This show is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. It was produced by me, Dom Fercasa. For more City Hall coverage, visit sfchronicle.com.